Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's episode is monitored by Garmin. If you're sick of charging your fitness smartwatch every night, Garmin gives you up to 11 days of battery life on a single charge. So if you want a smartwatch that stays on your wrist and not on your charger, head to garmin.com.au to find out more and use my code LEANNE10 on any venue SQ2 for a limited time only. Now here's our podcast. This week's podcast guest is clinical psychologist, Dr. Dana Lee Bagley, who is talking all about how and why healthy habits suck. Dr. Dana is a registered clinical psychologist in Canada and has worked for 15 years as a clinical health psychologist for a hospital. She's then taken all of her experience to open her own clinic, which is a virtual health psychology clinic offering clinical interventions, training for healthcare providers and educational courses on health related topics. On today's episode, Dr. Dana talks to us all about habits and why for some of us, healthy habits suck. We talk about the importance of habits, why we have a hard time being consistent, the difference between the caveman brain and the executive brain, our frontal lobe, the act technique, negative self-talk, and how to make our habits actually stick. You can follow Dr. Dana on her Instagram, which is Dr. Dr. Lee Bagley. Or you can visit her website, which is drleebagley.com. Now let's dive into today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Dana. We are very excited to have you on the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast today. Thank you for having me. And then can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your background and how you got into this wonderful, um, I'm sure somewhat challenging area around creating healthy habits? So I'm a registered psychologist in Canada and several provinces in Canada, and I do work in clinical psychology as well as workplace psychology. So I worked for almost 15 years on the medical, surgical, and cancer care units at the hospital uh, here in Halifax, and uh, so worked with people with chronic disease and life-threatening disease on multidisciplinary teams, and so functioned as a health psychologist, helping people Uh, manage habits as related to chronic disease. And now I also do work with workplaces, trying to do that behavior change as well in workplaces and to leverage the workplace as a resource for health. So how can, in addition to kind of individually, what can we do to be healthier? Also, what can environments do to be healthier? And workplaces is one of the places we spend a lot of time in. So how can we leverage the workplace to also help us be healthier? Absolutely. And I'm sure we could do a whole podcast and just chatting about creating a healthy workplace. But let's stick within the habit niche, because I know that it's something that I myself sometimes and even a lot of my listeners really struggle with. So let's, I guess, dive a bit deeper into it. So you are all things habits. Why for some of us are healthy habits really hard? And why do they just kind of suck? Because we just for whatever reason can't seem to maintain them. Yes, I think it's helpful for us to understand a bit about how our brains work to understand how we handle habits. So we have kind of an automatic, you know, um, unconscious part of our brain, which I just refer to as like our survival brain or our caveman brain. And this system is responsible for things like emotions, automatic thoughts, learning, memory, appetite regulation, and it happens automatically. So 
uh, this is where habits happen. You don't have to be sort of consciously aware for that system to activate and to do its thing. The other part of our brain relevant for this conversation would be our prefrontal cortex or our frontal lobe. And our frontal lobe is the place where uh, we have executive functions, and that is basically controlling our behavior. So this is where willpower comes from. It's where self-control comes from. It's about starting behavior, stopping behavior, inhibiting behavior, but it really only controls behavior. And so it doesn't control things like thoughts or feelings. And basically, humans have been kind of hardwired over time to do things that are really good for survival in the short run and are therefore kind of built into the system as part of our survival brain but are not well suited to our modern world and all the things we need to do to be healthy here. So for example, in kind of prehistoric days, we used to get the same amount of exercise that triathletes get nowadays just to survive. Mm. So if you had a chance to rest, you would totally rest. There was like an absence. It was difficult to find food. Uh, There's like, you know, these uh, videos of uh, people, tribes in Africa, I think, uh, climbing up trees and to get sugar you know, to get honey out of like a beehive that's like 40 feet in the air and getting stung by bees. But sugar is really rare in that environment. And so those are the kinds of things you have to do to get sugar. That's the environment that this system was kind of well matched for and is built into our automatic habits. Uh, The world we now live in, of course, is much different. And for many of us in westernized developed countries, we have readily available access to high quantities of food, often highly processed food. And so uh, basically all the things we need to do to be healthy are kind of the opposite of what our survival brain wants us to do. Uh, Because the things we need to be healthy in our modern world are quite different than the things we needed to do back then. And so we basically always have to use our frontal lobe battery to do these habits. It can get easier over time, but basically always have to put some effort into it. And this is also because our environment doesn't at all help us make healthy choices. It, in fact, encourages us to make unhealthy choices. And so this is why healthy habits suck, because our built-in hard wiring wants us to do the opposite. And so it takes a lot of effort and it takes intention to be able to do any of these healthy habits, which is why most people don't. And most people uh, with chronic disease don't maintain the habits that they're supposed to do to manage their chronic disease. And most of us, even without a chronic disease, are not doing all the things that we quote unquote should do to be healthy. I love that. I love that explanation where it was like one of them is automatic and it's easy and the other one and it's sort of about that survival mode and the other one is like, oh, well, it you know requires that willpower. And when you think about having a really long hard day, you've gone an hour or two commuting in traffic, you've got three kids to wrestle you know, into the bath, into dinner, into bedtime, you get to the end of the day and you're like, I probably should work out. Uh, nah, it's no longer about survival mode. It's kind of like mm, the couch seems far more appealing right now. And it's really hard to blame people for that, isn't it? Because there's only so much willpower and so much, I guess, effort and intention we can put into one day, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. That uh, frontal lobe is like a battery or a muscle, right? And so we will wear it out as we use it up. Uh, And so it's not an unlimited amount. We often act in our culture like if you just try harder, you can just magically come up with more energy, more willpower. Uh, But it's not. Those batteries are a fixed amount. Uh, And so... This is why things like binge eating are more likely to happen in the evenings compared to the mornings because we've worn out that battery of self-control, but our survival brain is still like, hey, this will totally make you feel better in the short run, right? Not healthy for us in the long run, uh, but we don't have that battery left by the end of the day. And that's uh, true for many people. This is also why a lot of people struggled with healthy habits in the pandemic. 
part of that battery was being used to manage the stressors of the pandemic and all of the enormous behavior changes that we had to do at various points in the pandemic that kept changing. So that, you know, drain on our battery was more because of that. And I often say at this point, it's like there's no frontal lobes anywhere. Like everyone's just kind of exhausted by all of the uh, efforts and things we've had to live through during the pandemic. 100%. And there's so many things that can drain, as you said, that battery is such. And I guess if you're not even really noticing, but you have these just like low lying moments of stress throughout the day that you're not really dealing with, I guess you're draining that battery without even really realizing. It's like you go to plug in your iPhone and you forget to hit the power on button on the wall. You come back 10 minutes later and it's still on like 7%. And you're like, oh crap, I forgot to, I forgot to recharge it again. So can we change that frontal lobe or can we, how do we recharge that frontal lobe to enable us to actually follow through with some of these healthy habits without feeling like it's like this monumental thing every single time we have to do it? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of science and a lot of that's incorporated into the book about how we can um, make better use of that frontal lobe and manage our survival brain. So when you do want to think about recharging it, and I often talk about uh, recharging activities as something that makes you feel more energetic at the end than when you started. So it's not necessarily the same thing as a healthy habit. You know, one of the things uh, like examples of that might be going for a walk, but also things like drumming or hanging out with your family. Um, You know, we know that things like eating healthy food uh, helps, you know, uh, recharge that battery, getting good sleep, Um, you know, staying hydrated. These are all things that help our brain work better. And so you want to think about, have you incorporated any charges into your day? Think about how often you need to charge your cell phone. Do you have any ways of recharging your battery? And to be mindful about incorporating those in. You also want to be mindful of what's draining your battery. Mm. Sometimes the quote-unquote lifestyle change that we're helping people make is getting out of a bad marriage or getting out of a toxic workplace that is just draining your battery. This is also why, you know, uh, people who are struggling with food insecurity or financial insecurity, housing insecurity, a whole bunch of that battery is going to deal with those life stressors and there is not a lot left over. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we want to be aware that, again, there are individual differences in how much you know, how well the battery charges. There are things that, uh, like we know, for example, um, that psychotherapy, for example, is one of the things that you can use to kind of rewire your brain, for example. There's also medications that impact that. And again, there are mental health conditions like chronic pain, depression, anxiety, ADHD, that also impact sort of that balance between your survival brain and your frontal lobe and how much energy is going to manage those conditions and how much you have left over. Mm. But the good news I'm hearing here is that we can change and it might take some sort of you know, effort and intention and outside help, you know, perhaps with someone like, you know, the therapist or something like that, but we can actually change. And I feel like for so many of us, it is so overwhelming. And we just think, well, it's just me. I'm such a failure. What's the point? I've tried a hundred times. I just can't do it. Or I wasn't meant to be healthy or, you know, I've tried, I've started and I've restopped a diet so many times. I can't lose weight no matter what I do. So how do we overcome, I guess, those sorts of thoughts and behaviors when we feel like we've failed so many times and we have such a hard time being consistent, what can we do to actually leverage, I guess, these parts of our brain to make them work in our favor? 
So one, when you're making a change, you want to start small and work your way up because again, you want to acknowledge how much battery is available to make change. And so most of us try to change everything all at once, but there's really not enough battery to keep that going. And so you're much better off to pick something small and to think about adding healthy things in rather than taking unhealthy things out uh, and slowly building those uh, healthy behaviors over time. The other thing is we really need to redefine what success means because uh, because it's so hard to stay consistent. And basically, if your frontal lobe is worn out, your caveman brain is going to take over and you're going to have ice cream for dinner because that's how caveman brains work. <laughs> and so success isn't about being consistent all the time. It's not about sticking to some, you know, eating plan. It's not about sticking to the gym. It's actually actually about your willingness to restart the activity that when you fall off the wagon to start it again. Mm. Success is your willingness to go back at it again and again and again and again. <laughs> that is what success means because it's virtually impossible to stay consistent with all these things. It's just not how humans work. And so we want to redefine success as not that you stopped doing the behavior, but that you got back at it and you got back at it again and again and again. These are things that, again, will probably require some intention, probably require some battery for the rest of your life. And so there, you never get there. You're never done. You never get to stop thinking about your health. You always need to dedicate a bit of your battery towards that. But I also like to remind people that your health is there to help you do other more important, meaningful things in your life. Don't make health the end destination. What is your health going to allow you to do that matters to you? Because that's the long-term source of motivation that we can find. So for example, I, you know, if I ask myself if I want to go to the gym, the answer is no, I don't. It's really <laughs> effortful, sweaty, I have to like, you know, leave my house. And so that's not the question I need to ask myself. The question I need to ask myself is, do you want to go to the gym or do you want to yell at your kid at bedtime? Because going to the gym for me is a recharging activity. And so I will show up as a better mom. I will show up as a more patient human and a kinder human to the people who matter to me if I recharge my battery by going to the gym. I will, and so that's the long-term motivation is not because I'm trying to manage my health or my weight, but because it helps me show up as the person I want to be when I recharge my battery. The other thing is that the way I go to the gym actually doesn't require that much battery, meaning that I've created uh, a habit that doesn't use as much battery. So one, I go to the gym at the exact same time every day. Before the pandemic, I could go at different times. But during the pandemic, I had to change my schedule so I could go at the exact same time every day. So I don't think about it. I just go. I go to a gym where there's classes, which means that once I sign up for the class, I feel bad if I don't show up because <laughs> I've made this public declaration to the gym that I'm going to show up, right? There's other humans there. So I get this social uh, you know, aspect of it to like talk with other people who I see regularly because they're going to similar classes. And the instructor gives me the activities to do. So I don't have to think about what routine I'm going to do. I don't have to think about what exercise I'm going to do. I just follow along their instructions. And so it reduces how much battery it takes me to engage in that recharging and healthy habit. And so people often rely on willpower too much, right? Create environments that don't demand as much battery to make healthy choices. Uh, use your battery to create those environments that then require less battery in the moment to be able to make healthy choices. I love that. And I talk a lot about the environment with a lot of my clients from a nutrition perspective as well. And I say, look, if you're going to buy four blocks of chocolate when they're half price and you're going to leave them on the kitchen counter, 
guess what's going to happen? It's going to hit 9, 10, 11 p.m. and you're going to eat far more of that chocolate than you ever wanted to. But if you're going to buy it, perhaps buy small portion size little mini blocks or buy it and put it right back at the back of the cupboard. So when you open the pantry, it's not the first thing that you see. So setting up our environment is so crucial to success as well, isn't it? And people often, there's some studies showing that people don't think of that as willpower, that that sort of doesn't count when you're structuring your environment in that way, but it absolutely is. You're just doing it at a different point. Mm -hmm. So one of the examples that I give is, for example, if I work until like 9 p.m. at night, I'm going to make bad eating choices when I get home from Mm -hmm. work. It's just pretty inevitable. I'm going to have ice cream for dinner. Uh, If I end at 8 p.m., I have a 50-50 shot of eating something healthy. If I stop at 7, there's a really good chance I'm going to eat something healthy. My choice point isn't what happens at 9 p.m. Because once that's happened, there's no more battery left. Even if I've left myself a healthy meal sitting right there in the fridge, I somehow don't eat it. (laughs) The choice point is, do I let myself book until 9 p.m.? Do I let myself, you know, schedule things so that I'm working until 9 p.m.? Once I've made that choice, there's not a lot of battery left. Mm -hmm. It's a much better decision to figure out how much battery can I, will I have to be able to make healthy choices earlier in that process? And one of my clients gave a great example of this. She's like, I was out shopping. I went to like three different stores. She was like, I was going to go to two more stores, but I realized if I went to two more stores, I was going to come home and have no battery left. And so she stopped after going to three stores, came home, and could make herself a healthy meal because she hadn't used up all her battery running errands all day, right? Decisions Mm. and like decision-making and all of those things wear out that battery. It's the same thing, decision-making, problem-solving, right? All of that is that same frontal lobe battery. I love it. And you said something really powerful before that I've sort of, I want to circle back to. And you sort of said, instead of saying to myself, do I want to go to the gym? You often say to yourself, do I want to yell at my kids later? And I thought about a great example from a nutrition perspective. And it's like, do I want to eat this block of chocolate or do I want to have a really sore tummy later? And I think it's that thinking through some of these behaviors. But as you said, before we get to the moment, because often in the moment that is self-sabotaging sort of thoughts come into play. And it's like, yeah, I I couldn't care less if I yelled at my kids later, or I couldn't care less if my stomach was sore later. I need this and I need it right now. So as you said, it's about making those decisions throughout the day that are going to lead to better decisions later on. Because for so many of us, we blame willpower. We go, I'm so weak. I suck. What's wrong with me? But we're not helping ourselves out throughout the day, are we? So by the time we get to nighttime, we've got nothing left. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, my brain, it's our survival brain that's trying to make you uh, make quick decisions that work in the short run, right? Give you a blast of energy in the short run, but don't help you in the long run. Uh, My brain tricks me all the time to say, you love ice cream. It's your favorite thing. Go eat it. But I feel pretty (laughs) miserable afterwards. I don't feel sick enough to stop eating it, but I just feel low energy. My brain's a bit foggy, right? And so sometimes I need to ask myself like, well, do you want to be able to like think clearly for the rest of the day? Like, are you just going to give up the rest of your day and not get anything done? Because that's what's going to happen if you eat this ice cream. Like, it's a trick. Your brain's tricking you. I, you think it's going to taste good, but actually it's going to wreck the rest of your day, right? So sometimes it's really helpful to like just pause, notice, and breathe. Like if we can slow down that moment where we go for the chocolate or you go for the ice cream, it might give us a chance to like rethink it. But also if there's no ice cream in the freezer, I'm much less tempted by it. So the decision point again happens at the grocery store rather than, you know, staring at my freezer at 10 p.m. at night. Mm, I love that. 
Let's take a quick healthy break and a quick breather. If you have a smartwatch, check your stats. If you had a Garmin, you'd be able to check your health stats for up to 11 days on one charge. It's a smartwatch that spends more time on your wrist and less time on charge. So if you're tired of charging your fitness smartwatch every night, get a Garmin. Wearing your smartwatch for longer could give you a more complete picture of your health. A Garmin can help you manage your stress levels with relaxation reminders and short breathing activities when your watch detects that you're stressed. It can monitor your energy levels throughout the day so you can find the best times for activity and rest. And it also has a hydration tracking tool that allows you to log your daily fluid intake. Now you can do more on a single charge. See which Garmin suits you at garmin.com.au and use my code Leanne10 on any venue SQ2 for a limited time only. Now let's get back to our show. And in your practice and in your book, you talk about a technique called acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT. Can you share with our listeners at home what this might look like um, and why it's important for creating healthy habits? Yeah, so um, ACT is an evidence-based intervention. It's a type of cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, and basically sort of the most recent version of it that incorporates a lot of the things that we know worked well from CBT and then adding some new elements that we know also work, things like mindfulness, for example, or self-compassion. And uh, what's useful about it is that there's a lot of evidence that we can use this to change habits, and we can use it for all kinds of things. So it's an Uh, evidence-based intervention for all kinds of conditions, including things like OCD and psychosis, depression and anxiety, but also things like smoking cessation, procrastination, parenting, anger management. And because it really makes use of this distinction between our survival brain and our frontal lobe in recognizing, don't try to change anything coming out of your survival brain. We don't have direct control over anything like that. Meaning if you're trying to like not feel bad or you're trying to change your feelings, inevitably, that's not going to work because we do not humanly have control over things coming out of our survival brain. You can do things that influence it, but we don't have direct control. And so instead, focus on your behavior. It's literally controlled by a different part of your brain. And we can initiate behavior. We can control our behavior, again, if you have enough of a frontal lobe battery. And so it makes use of science to uh, help us work smarter instead of just harder. If your you know, plan or solution is, I'm just going to try harder this time, I just won't give up, that's not a good plan and it's not evidence-based, right? There are lots of tricks that we can use when we understand how human brains work and how uh, human beings work to be better at making change, to be more effective, to have it be more sustained. Uh, and that's a lot of the things included in the book are things that we can use to work smarter instead of working harder. Mm, I love that. So that's, um, I guess, if we were thinking about it from a nutrition perspective and somebody said, oh, you know, I I did my healthy diet and it didn't work and I had some cake at work and then I blew out all weekend. I'm going to wait till Monday to start again. And then this Monday, I'm going to go hard. I'm going to get rid of all of the food. I'm going to be absolutely perfect until I lose these 10 kilos. What would you say to that person if we were working with that um, act form of, of therapy? So I would say uh, I'm super glad that you're interested in behavior change. 
could we use the science of behavior change to make it more successful? Like, has this pattern ever happened to you before that, you know, uh, you fall off the wagon and then you decide you're going to go really hard uh, and then it probably doesn't last? Uh, congratulations, you're a well-functioning human because that's not how humans work. We don't have enough <laughs> frontal lobe battery for that. So one, let's make sure that this is linked to what really matters to you. Again, I gave the example earlier of parenting. Let's find why, uh, you know, healthy habits or charging your battery or uh, investing in your health, why that matters to the bigger picture of your life so that you can ask yourself, not do I want to eat cake, right? The answer is probably yes, it probably tastes good. Uh, <laughs> rather than like, you know, how do I want to show up at work? Or do I need to be productive? Or do I want to be a good spouse or a good partner or a good friend? Uh, a good parent uh, that we can link this to your values because moving towards something that matters is always more effective than getting away from something bad. And that's what prompts long-term behavior change and sustained behavior change is the moving towards. Because I still, even if I get to some quote unquote goal weight, which is not a great idea, but even if I do, um, I, I, I still want to be a good parent. I still don't want to yell at my kid. So just because I get to some target weight, I'm not going to stop going to the gym because it's linked to being a parent. It's not linked to that that goal. If you link it to goals like that, especially like target weights, once we achieve a goal, we stop working on it. Mm. That's how we do goals. Mm. You don't keep working on a goal after you've achieved it. You move on to something else. And so people stop doing the behaviors that got them there. But more likely, you don't hit your target weight because there are a ton of different factors that influence weight. How much you eat and how much you, you know, exercise or move has a very small percentage of that. There are all kinds of factors, including genetic factors, including environmental factors that we don't have direct control over. And so most of the time, it doesn't get you to your goal weight. So then it's like, well, why am I doing all of this hard work if it's not getting me to my goal? And so we're trying to get away from that goal uh, setting and instead make it value-driven goal setting, that you're focused on behaviors, that they're tied to your values, uh, that they are manageable amounts depending on how much frontal lobe battery you have so that you can make sustained change over time. Because it is costly to us when we keep, quote unquote, failing at these efforts. It undermines our self-efficacy, which is the extent to which you feel confident in being able to do something. It impacts our self-esteem. We definitely do go down that rabbit hole of what's the matter with me when actually you're just being a normal human, right? Uh, this is what happens to humans. And so uh, we want to reframe that in terms of this is not a goal-driven behavior. This is something you need to do long-term. This is something you'll need to do forever if you want to show up as a good parent or partner or, you know, uh, an effective or high-functioning person. Uh, and so how and so using all of that science that we know about behavior change, we would completely revise what that person's plan was. We would start small and work our way up. We'd attach it to values. Um, and, you know, we we focus on not avoiding falling off the wagon, but how quickly can you get back on? So that skill of getting back at it, especially around eating behaviors, because they're very complicated behaviors. We live in a world that does not at all encourage healthy behavior. It, in fact, encourages unhealthy food choices. And so, uh, you know, we really need to think about um, it's a series of behaviors. It's a series of falling off the wagon and getting back on. It's the getting back on skill that's most important. And there's a lot of science showing that if you can be kind to yourself in the face of those setbacks, which is, you know, self-compassion, being kind to ourselves, recognizing we're all flawed humans, we all make mistakes, right, that common humanity, it actually helps us get back on the wagon faster. 
because basically that criticism is coming from our survival brain. If you fuel it, if you go down that path of, oh my God, I can't believe I did this again. What's the matter with me? That brain is just going to be on fire. And now your frontal lobe battery has to spend all this effort dealing with this caveman brain that's on fire. If we can respond to kindness when that judgment shows up of, yep, it's because I'm a regular human. It's millions of years of evolution. Yep, not what I wanted to do, but in this next moment I can choose differently. Uh, then it actually shows that, you know, you free up some frontal lobe battery because you don't have this caveman brain that's on fire. And then you can use that battery to make better choices and choices that are more consistent with how you want to show up in the world. And it's just that grace and compassion for ourselves. And as you said, like, we're not a terrible human. Nobody's perfect. And I remember, um, I can't remember who I was talking to one day and we were talking about perfection and why as as humans, but particularly as females, particularly as mums, we feel like we need to do everything and be everything and be perfect. And someone said to me, um, whenever I think about um, why I'm not perfect or that I failed or I did something wrong, she says, I just remember that even Oprah poops. <laughs> so all of us are just human, right? Even celebrities, like we, you know, they might look like they have everything together and then doing everything, but even Oprah poops. So I yeah. think it's a really nice thought to come back to, even when my brain goes, oh, Leanne, you should have done more. You didn't get it right. Or I can't believe this didn't happen. It is, yeah, it is easy to remember that we're all just human. And as you said, you just got to keep on, keep on keeping on. Like you just get yeah. back up and you get back on. It's like a race that quite doesn't have an end point, which I guess links to your point about making it about our values. Because if the goal is to be a better parent, and I've got a little bub, she's only seven months at the moment. And for me, it, I have restarted the whole exercise wagon. I mean, nutrition comes quite easily to me being a dietitian, but exercise was something that I did like you very similar times before I had her. Then I had her and the sleep went out the window and I, I went back to work. I'm crazy, but you know, when she was two weeks old <laughs> and it was really, really difficult to find the time to exercise because I'm like, I just want to stare at my newborn baby all day. So I got my six week clearance and I'm right. Six weeks in, I'm back. And I think I lasted one or two sessions. Then I went right 10 weeks, 12 weeks. And here I am seven months later and I'm still not in a consistent routine, but I just keep trying to get back to it. And yeah. Two weeks ago, I went twice that week. Last week, twice that week. This this week, I've been once already and I hope to go once more. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to take my previous five days a week and turn that into two days a week. And as you said, try to be as consistent with that, because if I aim for five, I'm not going to make it. Some weeks I might, but most of the time I won't. I'll feel awful. I feel like a bad parent. And then that fuels that caveman brain, just like you said. Yeah. And, you know, again, part of your battery is now going to deal with your daughter or your your child, right? Do you mm -hmm. say daughter? I can't remember. Daughter, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So part of your battery is is being used for your daughter. And that's a good use of your battery, you know? And so, you, yeah, you have less to figure out how you're going to get yourself to the gym. And that might be okay because you're spending that battery on something that really matters to you. We know sleep is a major contributor to how, uh, well, you know, to charging that frontal lobe. And so, again, mm -hmm. if you're sleep deprived, which is what happens, you know, when you have small infants, you have less battery to begin with also. And so this is where the kindness like really needs to kick in. And so you, you might not get back to five for a while until, you know, or you need to add more batteries to the system, right? Rather than expecting your battery to big, be bigger, you need to add more batteries to the system. So this is where we need a village to be well. Mm. We need extra batteries in the system, like, you know, family members or friends or like babysitters. It's okay to pay people to be part of your village, right? Uh, to uh, do some of these things that uh, are using up your battery that might not need you specifically to do. That's how you get more battery overall is you have a village of support 
just because somebody's offering you support doesn't mean they have less battery, right? If you've ever had the experience of helping someone else and you felt better as a result of helping them, it's not a zero-sum game. You can both end up with more battery at the end. And so asking for and accepting help is a really key skill to be healthy. It's really important when you have a chronic disease because, again, you have less battery available to you because part of that battery is dealing with your chronic disease. You have, you know, uh, major life changes, uh, children, if you're elderly, if you're a caregiver. It's a really important skill because that's the only way that you can get kind of more battery into the system is by having more people there to spread out the demands. I love that. And the fact that you just made it okay to pay for help is something that I find really powerful because just before the pandemic, we don't use her now, we're building a house now, but I was paying a cleaner. And I remember one of my friends was like, why would you pay a cleaner? Because it was more beneficial financially for me to work more in my business. And also I was paying my trainer three, four times a week, far more than I was paying my cleaner once a fortnight. And I have been training for 10 plus years. I know exactly what to do. I'm like, I don't need the motivation to get here, but I was like, I just need, she helps me with the time. Like if I paid her, I'll go. Cause I'm like, Oh, I don't really have the time, but I'm going to go. Cause I paid her. And I was like, I don't have the time. Cause I'm spending two, three hours on my Sunday cleaning. I was like, if I can take that away using someone else, I can have the time to go to the gym and I don't need to pay my trainer. So I think Yeah, I really like that point that you made because I felt guilty about that for so long where I felt like it was like it was a real rich person thing to do to have a cleaner. And I'm by no means, you know, financially very, very wealthy, but I just thought it was such a better use of my time and money and it allowed me to do things. I don't like cleaning. I'm not someone that likes cleaning, but I do like training. And for me, it was just, it allowed me to open up those hours in my week to actually go to the gym because that's something that made me feel better afterwards. Whereas cleaning, I'd do it and I'd feel satisfied that the house was clean, but it still never made me feel great afterwards. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, that battery is a fixed amount. And if we treated it like a fixed amount, then we would think, where am I spending my battery? And is that the best use of my battery? So uh, again, it's not possible for everyone. But if it is possible for you, paying people to do things that either drain you a lot, like they're difficult for you to do, even if they're simple tasks. So again, cleaning is like that for me as well. It uses a lot of battery for me, even though it's a simple task paying other people to do that or paying people to do things that don't require you. It doesn't require me to clean the toilet. Anyone can clean the toilet. It does require me to be a mom to my kid. I'm the only one who can be a mom to my kid. Now, Mm. lots of people could drive in places, for example, right? So using money, if you have that available to you, to save your battery for the things that only you can do, that are most important to you, that are charges for you, that are not drains, is to me a great use of resources and a great way to build your village. And people do feel guilty about that. But I think it's a great use of like battery management if you do have the resources to pay somebody else to take those things off your plate that don't require you and then save your battery for the things that matter most. It's not an unlimited amount. Be Mm. thoughtful about where you're putting your spending your battery. And not feeling guilty about that either, because I remember I did a few podcasts on the pregnancy journey and the postpartum journey. And one of the biggest things people asked me about, or my biggest tip for most people was accept the help and don't feel guilty for it. Like people would come over and be like, I'd love to visit you on the baby. Can I do anything? Can I bring anything? And I'd be like, yeah, I'd love for you if you could pick me up some groceries, or I'd love it if you could here watch my baby so I could go have a quick shower. And I think there's so much guilt attached, particularly in the 
that mum guilt where you feel like you have to have everything together. You feel like you have to do everything. So I think letting go of that guilt and if someone says, hey, can I come Can I come see you for an hour? Be like, well, are you coming to see me or the baby? Because if you're coming to see the baby, can you look after the baby for an hour and I can scoot off for a 20 minute walk around the block because that's going to make me feel so much better. So for me, it's sort of a I've, I've been able to let go of that guilt because I can see long term it makes me a better person. Yeah. So I love everything you're saying. And I think it, it's matched in with how I found this motherhood journey the past few months as well. And, you know, to me, basically, once you're a parent and often, you know, once you're a mom, you're basically going to feel guilty for the rest of your life. Like, <laughs> so, you know, you might as well do the things that matter to you that recharge you and feel guilty for that. Because I'm not sure it's possible to escape the guilt. And there's actually a chapter in the book, you know, that references like, Uh, taking guilt for a run, which is how do you do these behaviors even while you're feeling guilty? I still feel guilty when I go to the gym instead of spending time with my kids. I know that it's a value-driven behavior. I know that it is helping me show up the way I want to, that it's a better, that recharging my battery doesn't serve just me. It actually serves all the people who matter to me. And asking yourself that question, if I recharge my battery, who benefits from this? It's probably Mm. more than you. It's probably Mm. all the people you care about and potentially all the people you interact with. You are serving them as well by recharging your battery. And so guilt will happen. That's a normal thing. Again, it's like psychopaths who never feel guilt. So allow the guilt to be there, but recognize it doesn't have to dictate your behavior. They're coming from different parts of your brain. Guilt's coming from your survival brain, uh, but your behavior is a choice from your frontal lobe battery. And so you can feel guilty and do it anyway. You don't have to wait for the guilt to go away. Just allow the guilt to be there and behave in a value consistent way. And I know we've referenced sort of mums a lot in this in this chat today, but I was just thinking, even if you you know you don't have kids, you work in a super high pressure, high corporate job. It's like, do I want to leave work an hour early and go to the gym and be a better human, or do I want to yell at my barista tomorrow morning because I'm super stressed and I was up till 11 p.m. working? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm seeing a lot of poor baristas getting yelled at because people aren't recharging their batteries. Exactly. <laughs> and you know what does that say? We talk about this with leadership all of the time about uh, being a role model for recharging your battery, Mm -hmm. that the biggest message that you can give your staff and your employees is to role model recharging your battery because that gives them permission to. If you're there till 11 p.m., they think they need to be there till Mm -hmm. 11 p.m. too. If you're like, I'm leaving to go watch my kid's soccer game, I'm like, I'm taking a break to go walk around the block, that gives them permission to invest in themselves as well. And that's, again, what you need for a sustained workforce. There's like this version of it'll work now, but is this a sustainable option? Can you keep this up long term. And if you can't, we need to find a sustainable option unless you don't really want to do this thing long term. If it's just a short term gig, then fine. But many of the things that matter to us are long term gigs, like being a parent or a partner or a friend, right? They're things are like a high functioning person or employee or leader. They're things we want to keep doing. And so you got to find a sustainable model for that. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned um, uh, the guilt and the negative self talk and, you know, the self criticism that a lot of us tend to have going on up in our head. Like, we shouldn't go to the gym because we're a bad person or I'm so big, I'm so unfit. Why would I go to the gym? What's the point? Any tips on, I guess, combating that negative self-talk? Because for a lot of us, it's really hard to get rid of it and we let it take over and then we don't do the healthy behaviors because we end up thinking, well, what's the point? I'm going to fail. It'll only last a week. So why would I bother? And those negative thoughts overtake us and it doesn't lead to that positive behavior change. So a really helpful technique, and again, it's in the book and it's an evidence-based strategy, which is about ask yourself whether that thought is going to move you towards what matters or away from what matters. 
we often get caught up in like, is it true? Like, am I too tired? They're all coming from our survival brain, right? And those things always feel convincing, even if they're untrue, because that's how survival brains have to work. They have to do things that are very convincing to us in the moment. There's a bear, run. Like, you can't be like, meh, I don't know, right? So it always feels convincing. It feels true when it's coming from our survival brain. But you want to ask yourself, is it going to move me towards what matters or away? And uh, one of the techniques we talk about is like imagining a thought like a football, which is that imagine the thoughts on a, like a football, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, you're going to fail. What's the point? Don't bother. Is that thought going to move you towards or away? And if it's going to move you towards, then run with that football, head down the field with it. Like it's going to move you towards. If it's going to move you away. We're trying to imagine leaving the football there leave it there, put it down, right? Imagine dropping the football, uh, which doesn't mean the thought goes away. And that's a really important distinction. The thought will come back. That is how brains work. Once you've had a thought, you'll have the thought again. But the thought does not have to control your behavior. Again, different parts of your brain control your behavior. Mm. And so practicing that skill of putting the football down the other version is like, notice your five senses. Come back to this moment. Wherever your brain has taken you, it's not in this moment. So notice your five senses. Notice the color of the wall. Notice your toes, right? Notice your breath. That's coming, bringing you back to this moment, giving you that moment to pause, to consider is this, you know, how it's going to move me towards or away. And practicing those skills is like building a muscle. It's like building muscle memory. You know, when you want to learn tennis or a sport, you practice the behavior again and again and again. And over time, your muscles learn how to do that, you know, behavior, the swing or whatever it is. And there's actually studies that show initially our brains like try a whole bunch of different combinations of how the muscle should work to mm -hmm. make a movement, you know, like a tennis swing. And then over time, it refines it. So it comes up with like, okay, when you want to swing, you do this, like activate this muscle, then that muscle, then this muscle. It comes up with a sequence that's more efficient over time. Those skills are like building a neural muscle memory. It's like building a neural net and, and a way to get to your frontal lobe faster rather than uh, going to your survival brain. And so practicing that skill is like building a mental muscle memory. Uh, and so the more you practice it, the, the more you build those neural networks that help you uh, have more uh, frontal lobe battery to recognize that your behavior can be totally different than what your survival brain is telling you. Yeah, that's so powerful. All right, Dr. Dana, we've talked about the book. Tell us a little bit more about it, what's in it and where we can grab it. Yeah. So the book is called Healthy Habits Suck. I love that. How to get off the couch and live a healthy life, even if you don't want to. So it's again, you know, full of tips and tricks based on science, based on acceptance and commitment therapy um, about how you can start and stick to healthy habits. So it's a lot of the kinds of things I would work on with uh, patients in the hospital, um, you know, to build these healthy habits. There are a lot of the skills I use myself. Right. I've talked a lot about how I use it myself in my daily life. Um, we also have resources on my website, which also have, you know, videos about healthy habits. And uh, we're starting a program on healthy habits for sleep because it's a big problem for most people. And again, it's about the how of sleep, not the what of sleep. Mm. But how do you actually make those changes in your life? We all know these things we're supposed to do, but it's hard to put into action. And so that's what it's again using all that science of behavior change to help with sleep habits. And the book would also help with sleep habits. It does give a lot of examples around weight, around diet, around exercise, but it's, you know, 
could be used for smoking or any kind of other healthy habit you're working on. Uh, And so you can order it online through any of the online publishers. And you can also check out the website as well as social media. We talk about charging your frontal lobe all the time. And sometimes at our house, we say things like, I have no frontal lobe left. (laughs) Just for us to cue to just be kind to each other. We can't show up the way we want to. Battery's done, right? Yeah, please don't push mommy's buttons. There's no frontal lobe left today. (laughs) Exactly. It's like uh, in about three seconds, I'm going to start yelling. So could we do something different in the next three seconds so I don't have to yell, but I do not have a lot of battery left. Right. I love that forethought that goes into that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And social media, where can our listeners give you a follow? Yeah. So uh, both. Uh, so we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, it's usually with the handle Dr. Lee Bagley, which is D-R-L-E-E-B-A-G-G-L-E-Y. That's also the website. So add .com to the end of that. And you also have the website. And so you can find us and find me on most of those social media. Wonderful. And I'll make sure I've linked all of that in the show notes for our listeners. Now, Dr. Bagley, to end the podcast, what is your big take-home message for our listeners to help them actually stick with a new habit that they're trying to create? If you had one big takeaway today, what would it be? My one big takeaway would be uh, that redefine success. That redefine the success is the willingness to go at it again. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to fall off the wagon. When people say, I want to stick to it, sticking to it means you get back on the wagon again and again and again. And so you never get to end this. There's no goal line. There's no finish. These are all things that are going to matter to you for the rest of your life. And so redefine what success is. Success is the willingness to keep trying. And creating the healthy lifestyle long term, not the short part, you know, short, short six week challenge or 12 week challenge. It's about the lifestyle approach. Right. And that's what you need to do to make it a lifestyle. It's never really done. You always need to keep investing some of your battery into it. And think of success as your willingness to keep investing in it, not getting it perfectly, not never falling off the wagon. I love that. Super powerful. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It was even I've learned something, which I just is my favorite thing about interviewing experts all around the world. And the fact that you're over in Canada today, um, we couldn't thank you more for coming on today. Thank you very much for having me.